Tonight we're going to resume our study in the book of Romans. Romans chapter 14. And I want us to begin looking there in verse 9. And verse 9, as it were, builds the foundation for the instruction to follow. All right, verse 9. For to this end, or to this purpose, Christ both died and rose and revived, that he might be Lord both of the dead and living. You see, the Lord Jesus Christ did indeed die. But not only did he die, beloved, thanks being to God, he didn't stay dead. Rather, he rose again from the grave the third day, and he revived. That is, he ever liveth to make intercession for us, and is at the right hand of the throne of God, having ascended up on high, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. Now the Lord Jesus Christ is the only one who is worthy to judge. He is the honorable judge. And we read of him in Genesis chapter 18, Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? You see, he is our judge. And we read in John's Gospel, chapter 5, verse 22, For the Father judgeth no man, but hath committed all judgment unto the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, beloved, judgment is not our business. That is, we're not to go about judging one another or sitting in judgment upon another believer. And that's what Paul is speaking about here in the context of Romans 14. And so here's the bottom line, that in all things the Lord Jesus Christ is Lord by the eternal, unchanging, immutable decree of God. God had made that same Jesus, the Lord Jesus whom you crucified, God had made him both Lord and Christ. Now, that was the bottom line in Peter's sermon there on the day of Pentecost, and that's recorded for us in Acts chapter 2. He is Lord of all by his sin atoning death upon the cross. You see, upon the cross, the Lord Jesus Christ didn't make a a partial payment. Rather, the Lord Jesus Christ, upon Calvary's tree, put away all the sin of God's people, a full and complete payment for all of God's elect. And of his elect, it says in Acts chapter 20, verse 28, that he bought the church with his own blood. And just take that in for a moment, beloved. Think about that. Beloved, God bought the church with his own blood. Our sins were judged in Christ, and now, having put away our sins forever, he owns us. Beloved, you are no more your own, in that you were bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your mind. He bought us with his own precious blood. With his own precious blood, we are redeemed, and that is We are bought, we are delivered from all of our sins by the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Beloved, His blood cleanses us from all our sin. Now, the Lord Jesus Christ did that exclusively and only for His elect, only for His people, for His church. He said, I lay down my life for the sheep to this end. Christ both died, rose, and revived, and all of this according to God's eternal purpose. 
The Lord Jesus Christ died. He was appointed unto death. Remember, him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. You know, no one took his life from him. Rather, he laid down his life for the sheep. And all of this happened by the eternal purpose of God. The Lord, our God, died the appointed death for the appointed people, for the appointed purpose and end. And that is to put away our sin, beloved. His purpose, our Heavenly Father's eternal purpose, which He purposed in Christ Jesus, His Son, is an eternal purpose. Indeed, everything that unfolds in time, that's you know where we live. We're, we're creatures of time. Everything that unfolds is according to what God had decreed from the beginning. You see, all of His works are known from the beginning. The Lord Jesus Christ is the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world by the decree of God. And in the fullness of time, he came and laid down his life for his people. Christ died according to the eternal purpose of God. And we know how that the Lord Jesus Christ died according to the scriptures. Remember 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We read there how that Christ died in fulfillment of all holy scripture. Every type, every promise, every ceremony, every law, every sacrifice under the Old Testament, all having a shadow or foreshadowing of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then thanks being to God our Father, it says here how His beloved Son, our, our Lord, our Lord Jesus Christ, rose, beloved, He rose from the dead. Remember Romans chapter 4, verse 25? It says there how He was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. Now, had he not justified his elect, had he not justified us, beloved, had he not justified his people, had he not cleared away their sin and justified them by his blood, he would not have come forth from the tomb. But having finished the work the Father gave him to do, putting away their sin, sin no longer had a claim on him or us, beloved. And so the Father raised him from the dead, and then he spent 40 days as the risen Savior establishing the fact that everything he said, everything he did was accepted to the Father. And the fact that he gave infallible proofs of his resurrection from the dead. And we just had that read to us just a moment ago in Acts chapter 1. This is what... Luke writes to Theopolis, verse 3, to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion, after he gave his life a ransom for many, all of his beloved people, by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Everything he did, beloved, was accepted of the Father in the fact that he gave infallible proofs of his resurrection from the dead. At one time, he was seen by 500 brethren, but after 40 days, he ascended on high and is seated, and he ever lives to make intercession for us. Those apostles watched the Lord Jesus Christ defy gravity and ascend to glory 
and the God-man mediator is seated right now on the throne of glory. Now, I don't know where that is. Paul makes reference of it when he speaks about the third heaven. But this is what I do know, beloved. He is sitting on the throne of God, ruling, reigning, and controlling all things, all events for this purpose, that he might be Lord of heaven and earth, Lord of all men, living and dead, Lord of all men, believers or unbelievers. Now, he is our Lord, but he's also the Lord of all men everywhere. Whether they acknowledge his lordship or submit to his lordship, that doesn't bring into question his authority. For he's Lord of all things in heaven and in earth, and he's appointed Lord by the eternal, unchanging decree of God. And believers do lovingly, willingly serve him and confess that he is Lord Remember what Thomas said after the Lord was risen and the apostles said that the Lord appeared unto us. He said, I don't believe that unless I see him, unless I touch him. And when the Lord appeared to him, you remember what Thomas confessed? My Lord and my God. And beloved, that's what we confess and do confess. The Lord Jesus Christ is our Lord. He's the Lord of all things. He's the Lord of our salvation. He's the Lord of our righteousness, and He's our Lord and our God, and we do indeed worship Him. The Lord Jesus Christ, our God, our Savior, and we worship Him as God. Now, if He's not God, then we're just nothing more than idolaters, because we own and worship Him as our God, God our Savior. We own Him and confess Him as Lord, and we know that it is only the Lord Jesus Christ who has made us to differ. It's because he first loved us. It's the only reason we bow to his authority and receive him as Lord and God. Our righteousness is of the Lord. And we say with the Apostle Paul, I am what I am by the grace of God. And right now, beloved believers, you who believe on the Lord Jesus Christ right now, in Christ, you are complete. Beloved, we're completely justified. I'm not going to get one whit more justified, not one whit more sanctified than I am right now. Because right now we are in Christ, and what's true of Him is true of us. We're going to see that in just a minute. Now, having established that to this end, to this purpose, the Lord Jesus Christ died and rose and revived. He ascended on high that he might be Lord of all, the dead and the living. He's every man's Lord. Now seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, seeing that he is the righteous judge of all men, now the question is asked there in Romans chapter 14, verse 10. The apostle sets forth, this question. And remember, beloved, this is written to believers. Why dost thou judge thy brother? Or why dost thou set at naught thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Beloved, why would you put yourself in his place? Why would you put yourself in the Lord's place? Why dost thou judge thy brother? Now, Paul is speaking here about the family of God. 
remember, we're members one of another. We're in the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so why would you sit in judgment on your brother? And the only reason why you would do that, the only reason why I would do that, the only reason why anyone would do that is because somehow in your self-righteous mind, you think you're somewhat better. And that's the only reason you sit in judgment. You see, this is what the apostle is speaking about. He's talking about sitting in judgment of another believer. And the only reason that you would sit in judgment upon a brother is because you think you're somewhat better. Well, none of us are better. Rather, beloved, we're to esteem others better than ourselves. I'm to think more highly of you than I do myself. And so, beloved, let's not get caught up into this Pharisee attitude. And all of us have a Pharisee in us. We all do. It's there. And I pray, Lord, deliver me from that wretched man. The Pharisee prayed, Lord, I thank you. I'm not this. I'm not that. What did he say? I'm not, I'm not like other men are. That's what he said. I'm certainly not like that publican, he thought. Well, he was much worse than that publican because that Pharisee justified himself. And the Lord said, those who justify themselves before God, he said, that's an abomination unto me. And so why dost thou judge thy brother? Or why dost thou set at naught thy brother? Why would you just ignore your brother? Well, the only reason you would do that, and all of us are prone to do this, Beloved, we're all prone to do it. And all of us indeed need to work on this. The only reason we would set a brother at naught and count him as, and count him not as a brother, or certainly not treat him like one, or sit in judgment upon another believer is because we think we're somewhat better. And we're not. We're simply not. We're all sinners saved by his grace. So let's not judge one another anymore. Look what it says there in verse 13. Let us not therefore judge one another anymore. Let us not therefore judge one another anymore. Let's not, let's not do this anymore. Let's make it our goal or our aim, our ambition to never judge another believer anymore. Thinking, well, I'm more spiritual. You know, I, I have more understanding. Well, that might be so. You might have more understanding. If you do have more understanding, it's only because God has given that to you. We have no reason to boast and be full of pride. We're all sinners in the same... And I've, I've heard this mentioned a few times. I'm sure you've heard it. Um, you know that word fellowship? Why is it uh, a fellowship? Well, because we're all in the same boat. <laughs> we're all in the same ship. We're all sinners, saved by grace. Again, verse 10. The latter part there, the apostle writes, We all shall stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And further, we read in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Now, that's mentioned here two times, the judgment seat of Christ. 
that every one may receive the things done in his body according that he hath done, whether it be good or whether it be bad. Now, what's that all about? What's that talking about? Why would any of us set up ourselves as a judge of our brother, a member of the body of Christ? We're to love and forgive one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven us. And then we know that the Lord Jesus Christ is the ultimate, final authority and judge of all things. Now, I have this reference here. Um, this is from Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. The apostle writes there, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, and this is speaking about a believer, if he be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if a man think himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. Beloved, this is good scriptural light. Light unto our feet and a light unto our path. The Lord Jesus Christ is our judge. We are accountable to him. Again, I read this before, but it, it, it's, uh, it bears repeating. John chapter 5, verse 22. For the Father judgeth no man, but hath committed all judgment unto the Son, that all men should honor the Son even as they honor the Father. He that honoreth not the Son honoreth not the Father which hath sent him. Now, many fundamental religious people use this verse right here. In the last part of verse 10, we all shall stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And that verse I just read a moment ago from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, uh, many fundamentalist religious people use these two scriptures to try to motivate people to obedience. The carrot they dangle in front of people is that uh, so that you might receive a bigger reward in heaven. They use those two verses to try and motivate people to obedience in order that they might have a bigger reward. Now that's what they say, but that's not what this book teaches. Irrespective of what they say, you know, they say that more obedience here, the bigger the reward there. That's what they say. And I'm talking about fundamental religious people that we may call uh, mainstream Christianity. The more obedience here in this time state, the bigger the rewards there. My friend, that's nothing more than works religion. Just dressed up to look like salvation. When actually it's nothing more then works, nothing but works, in fact. You see, this goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 15, verse 1, when the Lord told Abraham, Abraham, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. You see, you will not find one time in the Word of God, not one time, not one time whatever, where it sets forth the word reward in the plural in reference to a believer. For you see, it's always in the singular, for Christ is our reward. He is my reward. And my friend, if you have him being united to him by God-given faith, if you're found in him, you have everything he has. What else is there? What else is there? 
Uh, we were talking about this just this week. Do you remember uh, Martha and Mary? <laughs> Martha was much encumbered about many things, and she was complaining. <laughs> Where was Mary? You know, she was at the feet of the Lord. Oh, man, I wish I could learn that lesson. <laughs> One thing needful, Christ. Have you been much encumbered this week <laughs> about a many great things? Just one thing, beloved, Christ. What does the apostle write in his first epistle? He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God has not life. It's just one thing we need, Christ. He's our great need and he is our great reward. You see, in the light of eternity, if you don't have Christ, you have absolutely nothing. But in the light of eternity, if you have Christ, you have absolutely everything. <laughs> and um, I can't think of anything more apt to set forth as an understatement than that. You see, beloved, he's everything in salvation. And so you see, Christ is our reward. And so that being the case, what then is this judgment seat of Christ? that the Apostle's speaking about here. What is the judgment seat of Christ? Let's see if I can help us here with understanding some something of this. The judgment seat of Christ is not to determine who is saved or who is lost. It's not to determine if I'm saved or if I'm lost. That was determined in eternity, beloved. And this salvation of the elect was accomplished in time when the Lord Jesus Christ died. Remember from Romans chapter 5, verse 6, For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. Now, beloved, you can't get any more justified than that. Remember Romans chapter 8, verse 1. Romans 8, verse 1. There is therefore right now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. So this judgment here that Paul is speaking of is in regards to believers. It would be a judgment declaration for the elect of God that their salvation was accomplished by Christ and that we have already been justified by His grace and glorified in Him. Freely justified by His grace through the redemption that is in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if you would turn with me to Matthew chapter 25. Matthew 
This is speaking about the judgment seat of our Lord Jesus Christ. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 25, and I'll begin reading there in verse 31. And this is our Lord teaching, and He declares, When the Son of Man shall come in His glory, and all the holy angels with Him, then shall He sit upon the throne of His glory, and before Him shall be gathered all nations, and He shall separate them one from another, as a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats, and He shall set the sheep on His right hand, that's His elect, that's His church on the right hand. But the goats on the left, then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come, ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Now, an inheritance is a gift, uh, an heritage. Come, inherit Christ. Beloved, we are heirs of God and joint heirs with the Lord Jesus Christ. And our king states, verse 35, for I was a hungered, and ye gave me meat. I was thirsty, and ye gave me drink. I was a stranger, and ye took me in naked, and ye clothed me. I was sick, and ye visited me. I was in prison, and you came unto me. Verse 40. And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as you have done it unto one of the least of these my brethren, ye have done it unto me. It's remarkable when you read through the whole portion. All those who claim they have no works, you know, if you look there, they said, the answer said, Lord, when saw we a hungered and fed thee, or thirsty and gave thee drink? When saw we thee a stranger and took thee in, or naked and clothed thee? Or when saw we thee sick or in prison and came unto thee? You know, all those righteous claim they have no works. And then if you read from verse 35 down to verse 39, all those who claim they had no works were justified. Now, if you would turn with me to Matthew chapter 7. Remember what they said? Lord, when did we see you naked? When did we see you sick? When did we see you in prison? They said, we didn't have any good works, for they're justified by His grace. But those who claimed to have good works, they said they were, when did we not do these things? Now in Matthew 7, all those who claimed they had good works before Him, listen to this solemn message, Matthew seven twenty one. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Now, what is the will of the Father? Trust Christ. Believe on Christ. Many will say to me in that day, and that's the same day we just read about in, in Matthew 25, his people who were truly justified in Christ, saying, we don't have any good works. We're resting in Christ. But those who did not know the Lord, we see here in Matthew 7, verse 22, our Lord saying, Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? I mean, we've clothed people, we've fed the hungry, we've had soup kitchens, we've done all these wonderful things, 
Operation Christmas Child. We sent toothpaste across the world. All these wonderful things. They did all these things thinking they were earning salvation. Verse 23. And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. And that, be, that, that can be rendered, I never loved you. You see, that word to know is a word of intimacy. And without doing any damage to the text, we can faithfully set forth here that our Lord is saying to these people, I never loved you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. What a solemn thing. I didn't so much as shed one drop of my blood for you. Now, isn't it quite amazing? Those who said they had no good works were justified. And those who said they had good works were condemned. You see again how that salvation is entirely freely by the grace of God alone. And so all judgment, therefore, is relative to our union and relationship with Christ. What is true of the head is true of the body. Remember from 1 John chapter 4, verse 17? I'll just read that to you. The Apostle writes there in 1 John 4, verse 17, Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. How can we have boldness in the day of judgment? Does someone say, well, it's because I went to church every Sunday? Does someone say, because... I attended all the midweek meetings on Wednesday or because I've done this or that. My friend, would you have boldness before God, boasting and bragging on yourself before God? If you do that, you'll be among those that hear him say, depart from me. I never knew you. Again, verse 17, 1 John 4, verse 17. Herein is our love made perfect that we may have boldness in the day of judgment because as he is, so are we in this world right now. <laughs> There's a thing that I've heard people refer to as dying grace. It comes to all of God's people. And that what I just read to you just now is going to become the most precious thing to you at that moment. <laughs> as he is so am I undeservedly so are you beloved who believe on him right now <laughs> that's the gospel it's um, it's best understood when we turn to the prayer of our Blessed Redeemer, in John chapter 17. I don't have this in my reference notes. But if you turn to John's Gospel, chapter 17. You see, our Lord said, No one may enter the kingdom of heaven except he be born from above, being born again by water and spirit. And when a dead sinner is quickened, they are given life, everlasting life. We are made one with the Son of God. And if we read here in John's Gospel, chapter 17, 
I'll pick up reading there in verse 14. Now, Lord speaking, praying to our Heavenly Father, speaking of both his disciples and his elect, every one of his precious sheep. I have given them thy word, Father, and the world hath hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. And for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also might be sanctified through the truth. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word, that they all may be one, as, Father, thou art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. And the glory which thou givest me, I have given them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, and thou in me, that they may be perfect in one, and that the world may know that thou hast sent me, and hast loved me, and, and thou hast loved me. And what a prayer. Verse 24, no man prays like this except the God-man, the Son of God. Father, I will that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which thou hast given me, for thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the world hath not known thee, but I have known thee, and these have known that thou hast sent me. And I have declared unto them thy name, and will declare it, that the love wherewith thou hast loved me may be in them, and I in them. One with the Son of God. If you turn to Revelation chapter 5, again, I don't have this in my notes. I just can't get over how it is we're one, beloved, with the Son of God. And in these two verses, we understand a little bit of, of this. In verse 9, Revelation 5, verse 9, And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof. For thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation, and hast made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. It's a strange Kings and priests, why is it that we are made kings and priests? Because we're one with him. He is our king and he is our priest and we are one with him. God speaks of every one of his people in the Lord Jesus Christ. This is my beloved son. This is what he says of every believer united to Christ. This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased, because we are so vitally one and united with Christ. God speaks from heaven right now to the heart of every believer and says, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. I am well pleased with those in Christ. Now listen to this verse. God has appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, 
whereof he hath given assurance unto all men, in that he hath raised him from the dead. He was delivered for our offenses and raised again because he justified us. You see, beloved, we're already justified. Christ will present his church in that day at the judgment seat of Christ as he is, without sin, justified. You see, our account is cleared. Our debt is paid. And not only is our account cleared and our debt paid, but we have been charged and given to our account a perfect, justifying righteousness. Not only has he paid the penalty of the law fully and completely, but much more, beloved, he has performed the law for us. And so he will present us without sin before the Father, as God's word sets forth there in Colossians chapter 1, how that he, he'll present us holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. Beloved, that's how we'll appear before the judgment seat of Christ, because that's how we appear before him right now. Remember the book of Jude? I'll read this quickly from the book of Jude, verse 24. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. And beloved, he's not ashamed to call us brethren. To the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and ever. Amen. And so, beloved, we have no need to fear God at the judgment seat of Christ. Because our blessed Savior has paid our sin debt, and he has given us his righteousness, and we stand complete in him. I love all the ways that God's word styles our salvation. Um, it's a shorthand <laughs> for the gospel. Um, we read there in God's word that we're saved to the uttermost. He is able to save to the uttermost. Uh, the prophet Isaiah speaks about a, a double. We've received double from the Lord's hand. I never tire of hearing about the double we received of the Lord's hand. A full and complete pardon of all your sins and a perfect righteousness acceptable to God. And the only way you could rest in that, the only way you could rejoice in that, the only way you could be comforted by that is if you have been made alive by the new birth. <laughs> this time state we have is filled with trials and troubles and terrors. And that new man is always seeing the old man. That new man is always seeing the sin that is always there. <laughs> and that is the way our good and ready to forgive God would have it to be. This... Uh, the two men, the old man and the new man. But be encouraged in the Lord, beloved. In Christ, we are, what does it say? Complete. Complete in Him. We lack nothing. In the Lord Jesus Christ. If you turn with me to Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2. And look there with me beginning in verse 9. 
Remember our Lord said, unless you believe that I am, you shall perish in your sins. He is God manifest in the flesh, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And we read of our Lord and God, our blessed Savior and Redeemer. In verse 9, For in Him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and ye are complete in Him, which is the head of all principality and power. In Him also ye are circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, and the putting off of the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Buried with Him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God, who hath raised him from the dead. And you, being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross, And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. That is, through his sin-atoning sacrifice. Returning now to Romans chapter 14. Romans 14, verse 11. For it is written, As I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. Now what do we confess? How is it that we give account to God? Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 45. There in the latter part of verse 21. We read there in Isaiah 45, in the latter part of verse 21, There is no God else beside me, a just God and a Savior. There is none beside me. My friend, here the Lord declares there in verse 22, Look unto me and be ye saved. All the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is none else. I have sworn by myself, the word has gone out of my mouth in righteousness and shall not return, that unto me every knee shall bow, every tongue shall swear. Surely shall one say, In the Lord have I righteousness and strength. Now that's our account in the Lord. That's our confession, beloved. We have righteousness and strength. Now, whose righteousness? Well, that's not talking about our morality. I mean, your morality is just filthy, ruined rags. What we confess here is Christ is the Lord, our righteousness. He is our strength. He is our salvation. Even to him shall men come, and all that are incensed against against him shall be ashamed. But he's not ashamed to call us brethren, beloved. We say with the Apostle Paul, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. We own and confess him forever. Isaiah 45, verse 25. In the Lord shall all the seed of Israel be justified and shall glory. All the seed of Israel? 
Who's that? Beloved, that's his elect, his chosen. That's that's you and me, beloved, believing sinner. So then every one of us shall give an account of himself unto God. What is our account? It's Christ and him crucified. I count our sin debt paid in full. He's the Lord, our righteousness. And beloved, we stand complete in him. Verse 13. Romans 14, verse 13. Let us not therefore judge one another anymore. Why is that? Because, beloved, Christ is our righteousness. Christ is our salvation. We're complete in Him. And so why would we judge another brother or sister in Christ? Well, I know the reason. Because we're so sinful. We still have this Pharisee here in this flesh. And so let us not, therefore, judge one another anymore. Let's not do it anymore, beloved. But judge this, rather, that no man put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother's way. So instead of a stumbling block, let us be a help. Let us be a help. Instead of an obstacle, let us be an encouragement. Helping one another. Beloved, let us love one another. Let us forgive one another. Let us not criticize one another, beat upon one another, and judge one another. For we all stand or fall before him. Who's the him? The one the Father has appointed all judgment to, the Lord Jesus Christ. He's our judge. May what the Apostle writes here be used of the Lord to bless us here in in this church. And I believe that's the lesson. I believe that's what the Apostle is setting forth here, and we all need to hear it. It's the truth of God, the light we need. As the psalmist writes, Lord, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And Solomon wrote, Ponder the path of thy feet, and let all thy ways be established. Amen.